You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, Alana Levine here. Together with Sam Mayer, I host How to Be More Chill, a podcast devoted to our beloved musical, Be More Chill. Listen, I just want to tell you that if you're around the weekend of January 25th, go to BroadwayCon. All of the fabulous podcasts that are part of the Broadway Podcast Network are going to be there live, interviewing your favorite stars, and BroadwayCon is just a blast. So get yourself to BroadwayCon, find the Broadway Podcast Network events, and if you love Broadway, you're going to love this weekend. Or pretend to check a text on my phone. Hey everyone, I am Alana. And I'm Sam. And we are two people who had a mutual love for a show called Be More Chill. And we decided that we would like to find a place where we could bring others who love Be More Chill as much as we do. All of the behind the scenes with all of its creatives. And we thought a really great way to do that would be to have a podcast. Mm-hmm. And we have called that podcast How to Be More Chill. Never hung with a girl like you before. I don't know if you know it, but I am sure that for me you are an upgrade. 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 It's be each other's upgrade. Welcome to episode four, which has a very special guest today, Mr. Will Rowland, who plays Jeremy here himself, our leading man on Broadway. We all first fell in love with Will Rowland when we met him as Jared Kleinman in the uh, blockbuster hit, Dear Evan Hansen. Um, And it's really incredible to hear him tell the story of what it was to be such a, a friend and fan of Joe Iconis and to be in Dear Evan Hansen while Be More Chill was happening at the same time. And then this kind of incredible moment where it came to pass that he would get to be in Be More Chill after Dear Evan Hansen. It's a great story. Let's do this. We'll roll. First of all, You are the responsible party for bringing Sam and me together on this particular project. Yay! thank you. I feel like matchmaker, matchmaker. You did good. I like to think that if I can do nothing but introduce good people to one another, then my purpose on this earth is fulfilled. It is. So thank you for that. Um, We are, as you know, not only your friends, but we are incredible, incredible fans of Be More Chill. We think it's one of the most special musicals to ever enter the American musical theater canon. I agree. And part of what makes it so special is uh, the the family that yeah. makes up both something called the Joe Iconis family and then the Be More Chill family. Yeah. And they're really one in the same. Well, it's like a beautiful Venn diagram. Yes. There's like a lot of people who live in the middle of that diagram, and there's people who live sort of more to one or the other. Maybe less like a diagram and more like... One of those charts in the New Yorker, one of those like scatter right. plots where you can be like more towards be more chill or more towards Iconis and family. Right. And it's just it... like Joe Iconis dead center. Yeah. 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 And Smiling. Like, and instead of who he dated, who <laughs> he has mm-hmm. written music for. Mm-hmm. So can you share with us before we get deeply into the be more chill experience, when did you, Will Roland, mm-hmm. become aware of Joe Iconis? Um, I met Joe Iconis in November of 2007. I was a freshman at NYU, um, and a fellow named John Simpkins, who was the you know, sort of ran the program there, now runs the program at Penn State, good friend of ours. Um, Professor John brought in Joe Iconis to talk to the musical theater students about new musical theater and what you know he as a writer was interested in and what he looked for from singers and actors and it was just sort of an opportunity for us to you know kids who were learning a lot about Rodgers and Hammerstein to meet a 20-something composer and uh just like sort of hear his thoughts uh, do you he, remember anything specific oh yeah I remember said that day very well I what do remember he talked a lot about being interested in and excited by actors who were not afraid 
uh, to like do something ugly on stage or do something strange. Um, and he said he was really delighted by uh, people who, at the time, he used to say, people who look like they could never be in the ensemble of Wicked, um, which was sort of, uh, you know, which. <laughs> what which, is that code for? It was sort of his way of saying he loved people with uh, perhaps uh, non traditional body types for the musical theater mm-hmm. canon, non traditional looks. Um, sort of, he was, he was interested in, uh, he, he said this a lot, in seeing real people on stage rather than some sort of idea of a musical theater person. Hmm. So um, maybe not afraid of the grit. Not yeah. afraid of the grittiness. Exactly. Yeah. Of and humanity. The sort of, he likes people who, you know, to this day, people who are like a little bit uh, rough hewn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not totally finished all around, quirky, oddly shaped in all, in all you know, physically and uh, emotionally. So people who look like people. Yeah. People who look like people. Like people you might see on the street, but then all of a sudden they're uh, also uh, singers and actors who are quite good. That's the, that was what got him going. He sang two songs that day. Um, he sang a song called Helen. Uh, which is one of still one of my all-time Joy Connors favorites, uh, and a song called "She Fell Asleep on My Arm," um, and I uh, was like totally blown away. I was I sat I was sitting in the front row. I was dressed very strangely because it was my freshman year in college, and that's what you do. Do you remember what you were wearing? Yeah, I believe I was wearing like a burgundy corduroy suit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I would know where you were going after class. Which I was what you wore to class. Correct. And I know that I own this is a three piece suit. I cannot say <laughs> with any certainty that I was wearing all three pieces that day, but I know that I own three pieces and I was wearing at least two. I love it. And I had a tie on and I had really long hair. I had like hair that was just brushing my shoulders. Wow. Were there bangs? Did you have bangs? Uh, no, it was all sort of the same length. I'd sort of get it off to the side. I mean, not dissimilar from the way your hair is styled today. Thank but you. I never parted it in the center. I always did a, a side part. It's very cool NYU freshman vibes. I mean, in my mind. cool is a nice word to ascribe to it, post-mortem. But uh, <laughs> I definitely thought it was cool. Um, but right after the class, I, I went up to him and I was like, uh, this is amazing. Like, I love your music. Uh, how can I get How can I get the music and work on it in class? How can I? And uh he said, yeah, just uh, send me an email. And so I sent him this like crazy email. Uh, someday we'll publish the full text of it. Um, and it was just like me asking for sheet music, asking when his next concert was, um, and sort of getting all the deets so that I could become uh, a Joe Iconis fan. And two weeks later, I went to my first family show. Oh, my God. I love these moments. It's just thinking yeah. like what in that moment from the outside looking in, like if you had a video camera in that moment, it is like literally – a musical theater composer meeting the guy who's going to star in his first Broadway musical, like who could, 10, who could have years known? Later. Like yeah. that moment, that that sizzling magic that happens in that moment, and we all identify those moments in our lives, and like we all hope that they can maybe be those kinds of things, and like that one really was. Yeah, I uh, yeah, that worked out well. Do you remember? <laughs> are there people who were in that concert that are still? Oh yeah. Like literally, nearly all of them. Uh, I mean, we're uh, at the time of this recording. We're getting ready for our Christmas show, and I can tell you that people who were in that concert that are in the Christmas show include Jason Sweet Tooth Williams, Lauren Marcus, Katrina Rose Diedrichson, uh, Lorinda Lasitza. Uh, Bill Coyne was not in it, but Bill Coyne was one of the students in the room that day. Um, and obviously John Simpkins directs the Christmas show, so he was there. It's like an, it, there's an insane – I could sort of keep going if I thought really hard about it, but it, there's That's an insane awesome. number of people who were you know, in that room 11 years ago doing that concert uh, who I'll be on the stage with or in the room with on Friday night. Wow. And I know from being your friend, separate from Be More Chill, that at some point this notorious director, John Simpkins, mm-hmm. uh, was directing a production of The Black Suits – written by our beloved Joey Con- Iconis, and you were in that. I was in so that. So was that the beginning of your collaboration artistically with Joe? Um, I would say that was where it sort of ascended to the next level. I had done the Christmas show a few times, um, and I had But done... wait, how did you get to sing as part of the family and not just being audience to the Christmas show? Um, it all happened because when I was a senior at NYU, so Christmas 2010... Uh, a fella named Rich, uh, who was also in school with me, uh, was slated to do the Christmas show and dropped out like two days before. Um, and so uh, Joe emailed me and was like, do you want to be in the Christmas show? It is truly the smallest role in the entire world. 
uh, it, it was this bit where, um, you know that, that classic Folgers commercial where uh, Peter comes home from, in the original version, the army, and then another version, yeah. college, mm-hmm. and he cracks open the Folgers, and the whole family's like, oh, we're waking up to the smell of Folgers yeah. coffee. Um, the, I played Peter, the boy who came home and woke up everyone who had fallen asleep. Yes, I cry every time in that commercial. <laughs> well, Decades later, I still cry. We really sent it up that evening. Okay, cool. um, But yeah, that was, that was my first uh, encounter with Iconison family funny epilogue of that story i had a friend who worked as an intern at ars nova years later and she was tasked with going through some old files and cleaning them out she found a handwritten note from the day that i'd gotten cast where someone had written down my mother's name and email and said beth roland son just casting christmas show needs four tickets wow <laughs> like cool. it was an insane uh, that's going in the smithsonian yeah. i hope very so exciting yeah. it's very it's yeah it's been a very very uh insane journey with all these people um that i've known for so long and let's note that the 20 2080 jennifer ashley tupper will find in her archives truly somewhere. yeah no like the next yeah exactly some some gen tepper years and years from now uh-huh. um will oh we no can... it'll be the actual this gen tepper Jen Tepper at the ripe age of one million. Exactly. Yep. She's like, hang on, hang on. I'm tweeting, I'm renting the <laughs> runway, and mm-hmm. I am finding Will Rowland's mother to sing. She loves her at the runway. Uh, well, she has beautiful dresses every time they see mm-hmm. her. It's, she's it's actually, working. They, she, they should sponsor her. They should. They should start giving her free dresses for as much as she's going to wear those dresses everywhere. So yep. Yeah, there will be many openings in her future. So the timeline here is basically you encounter him at, as an NYU freshman, Three or four years later, you're in your first Iconist and Family Christmas show. And then a few years after that, I get invited to do a reading of the Black Suits, which okay. was my, which I saw at the Public Theater in 2008 in the Summer Play Festival. Um, the people who were in it were Jason Williams, Jason Tam, Krista Rodriguez, uh, Annie Golden, Lance Rubin, uh, Nick Blameyer. And there's one more person. And Sarah Glenn. Oh, and Krista Rodriguez and Sarah Glenn Denning. Because it was a cast of eight back then. Um, uh, those are the people that I saw in the play. And so I was invited to do this reading of it. And I was like so excited. Because I was like, oh my God, like there's a production of the Black Suits happening. Like I really, 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 really want to be in it. Um, and uh, and I, 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 I auditioned for it uh, a few weeks after we did this initial read. And, uh, and I got it. I got it. I got it, and I had to pretend. I feel like I, I, I think I told this story when I was on the podcast. I had to like pretend I'd been instructed by Joe and John uh, to not to act like I didn't really know them that well. When you walked into the audition room, correct. I was supposed to go into the audition room and be like not too familiar because there were other people in the room who were wary of having too many family members in the show. Uh-huh. So the only quote-unquote family members who ended up in the show were myself, who was at the time like sort of a proto-family member. Like I did Christmas, but I hadn't done any of the other concerts, uh, and Annie Golden, who was like, a, she must be in it. Um, and other than that, we met some, some other people uh, who would become fixtures in our lives, including the wonderful Broadway veteran Harrison Chad, who is mm-hmm. also going to be in Christmas this weekend, and uh, the one and only Tony Award winner, Mr. Ben Platt. Mm-hmm. Um, no big deal. Yes. After when he had just finished uh, filming some acapella movie and mm-hmm. was playing the demos for mm-hmm. us. And I was like, I don't want to listen to this crap. Yeah. <laughs> Pitch perfect? Pitch what? what? Terrible idea. I went with my mom to go see it at the mall in October of that year. Beth I was like, Roland needs four tickets to Pitch Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> she needs them immediately. <laughs> yeah, we went to see it at the mall. I was like, yeah, I think Ben's got like a tiny role in this movie. And it turns out, oh, no, Ben's all over the movie. Yep. Wow. Yep. Ben's a movie star. Who yep. knew? Yeah. Fun fact, well, I saw Pitch Perfect for the first time two days before seeing Dear Evan Hansen for the first time off-Broadway. So for me, it was like a Ben Platt double whiz-bang moment. You're of like, life. I hope he does magic in Dear Evan Hansen. Correct. And I also just realized that I saw you that summer. Yeah. You played Ben's mom yeah. in that play. I did. In The Power of Duff. Yeah. Starring oh, Greg cool. Kinnear. Greg Kinnear and I were husband and wife. Ben Platt played our son. I could not believe this boy could act as well as he did in this very dramatic play. And then in the rehearsal room, there was a piano. And then on break, suddenly he'd go to the piano and we were singing Into the Woods. Yeah, I know. At, he can play wow. too. It's the right, worst. Like it was really crazy. It. And then right afterwards, he was going to do a play at Barrington Stage. And I went to see it because we fell madly in love. And then I got my first dose, uh, a fix I would need many times forever after that of Will Rowland. So, and then, of course, at this moment in time, Dear Evan Hansen is sort of 
starting to happen. Yeah. And Be More Chill is kind of starting to happen in workshop They're very form. much on parallel timelines. Like the first draft of Dear Evan Hansen and the first draft of Be More Chill were written like months apart in, in separate, you know, separate time zones. Right. Um, and then I I did a reading of I – did, I did what I believe was the first formal reading of Be More Chill. Um, wherein I read the role of Michael, which is now played by some guy named George. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, George Salazar. No. Um, Sounds cool. Cool name. Yeah, it's a very cool is name. Is he going to be it's in French. it? It's French. Is he in it on Broadway? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I'm pretty okay. sure they're replacing him. Yeah. <laughs> With someone um, good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, someone who can sing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, uh, so yeah, that was the very first, as far as I know, the very first reading of Be More Chill. That was Where like, was it? It was at the offices of William Morris Endeavor. Okay. Um, because, who was present? Uh, who was present? Uh, I mean, the cast was larger back then, but right. a lot of people, I mean, Lauren Marcus read Christine Canigula, um, and our, my friend Seth Elliser read uh, Jeremy, and who else was in the room? A, bu- a bunch of people. Lance Rubin, who I saw in the black suits. Jason Williams was there reading the role that he's reading now. Uh, John Diaz, who's the guy at, at Two River, who was, oh, you know, I don't actually know what John's job is. Artistic director, literary director, whatever whatever right. it is. John was there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the agents and the writers, and they didn't have a director yet. It was all very sort of preliminary. And for that reading, is Joe? did Joe bring in a keyboard, or is the music on his computer, and you would stop, and he would play um, the songs? Like, how did it happen? got a piano happen? in that boardroom. Okay. Yeah. So and he so, was playing. Yeah, he played and sang everything, and we just read it cold. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, and that was the first time anyone heard Michael in the Bathroom. Um, which was really, we walked out being like, we're truly, it's like me, Lauren, Joe, like standing on 53rd street being like, Michael flying solo, Michael <laughs> flying solo, because we like couldn't, we didn't know the words yet right. because we'd only heard it one time. <laughs> but uh, it was a catchy tune even then. Truly. We were like, Joe, that song's great. Yeah. It's like a lightning bolt strikes the earth. If yeah. only first time we, the world hears I guess that we have song. great taste. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clearly. <laughs> you were right about that song. And then, and then. What happens? Uh, and then what happens is uh, I depart from the Be More Chill development process when they acquire a director. Um, the uh, the new director, who is not Stephen Brackett, um, he's like, uh, it, did, did, are, we, are we allowed to talk about who was directing? I think it was Stephen Scott Brackett? Ellis. Scott Ellis, yeah. great. Yeah. As long as you could say. I yes. don't know what's yeah. secret and what's not. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, so Scott Ellis was directing. It's all secret. That's why this podcast <laughs> is so amazing. Exactly. We're uncovering dirt. We're the conduit. Yes. yes. Scott Ellis was directing. Uh, Scott Ellis was not interested in Will Rowland being in the musical, and so that was when I departed the development process. Do you know that? Are you told that? Are I mean, you... I don't, I know. It's not like I got a call from Scott okay. Ellis being like, you can't be in the show. F Hi, off. This is Scott you know? Ellis. Beth Rowland needs four tickets <laughs> and Will Rowland will not be in my show. Hello, yes. is this Will Rowland? I'm here to tell you you're not good enough to be in the play. May I speak to Beth? <laughs> Truly. I need to tell your mom too. But it, yeah, so it, it, uh, that's another, like for me, like my favorite example of like, you hand the same show to seven different directors and you'll get seven entirely yeah. different shows, entirely different companies. Yeah. So uh, I departed the development process then and it was right around the same time that I started doing Dear Evan Hansen readings. We're in like, it's like 2014 now. Um, and then as I'm getting ready to do Dear Evan Hansen down in DC, we're doing a workshop. I'm working with Gerard Canonico on this workshop. Uh, and he's like, and we, I find out we're both auditioning for Be More Chill because Be More Chill has a new director, a fellow named Stephen Brackett, who I have known for a number of years and we're very much mutual friends. Like Stephen, but we've never worked together. Stephen keeps asking me to do a reading, but I'm out of town and I keep auditioning for something else that he's doing and I don't get it. And so like Stephen Brackett and I have had like multiple occasions where every time we see each other, we're like, we have to work together, but it keeps not happening. Uh-huh. And so I get uh, an appointment to audition for Jeremy and Be More Chill and I'm like, this is it. Yeah. This is my moment. I'm finally going to work with Stephen Brackett. It's going to be great. You know, we've, we've been dying to work together. And uh, I go in, and I audition, and I have a callback, and I have another callback, and it comes down to me and this other guy named Will, and I didn't get it. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, uh, but so, and and that was, you know, that was that. And then we went to, we went to go see the show down in New Jersey uh, a few times, and then I saw it twice. Uh, Steph, my fiance, saw it six times. I oh believe. wow! Yeah, but we we went to some previews and some openings and a closing, and then uh, and then I went and did Dear Evan Hansen. Um, you know, I went. That was they happened like months apart yep. and miles apart. The, the two so shows. you audition, do not get be more chill. Yep. Post Dear Evan Hansen workshop, mm-hmm. and then you 
re-audition for Dear Evan Hansen when it's actually going to be a production in D.C., or do they just uh, offer it to no, you? No, I, I miraculously only had to audition. I like to tell people that I've never auditioned for Dear Evan Hansen. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for— But it for, would be a lie. No, I, I auditioned <laughs> one time for uh, a, the untitled Pasek Paul Levinson musical, yes. which which is, though it is about a boy named Evan who writes a letter and tells a lie on the Internet, it is an, a nigh-unrecognizable show wow. from what would open on Broadway— uh, you know, years later, it was it was a sort of uh, it just it was it was like totally uh, it was way more satirical and it was like way longer um, and it was a lot more about sort of making fun of us and how we're so addicted to the internet and so addicted to our phones um, and it was much less sort of earnest and 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 hurtful. Well, I'd like to digress for one second because Stephen Levinson, I just had a very long conversation with him who wrote the book, yeah. Dear Evan Hansen. The genius Stephen the genius, Levinson. Who said, well, there was no Jared, and then there was Will Rowland, and then we found Jared. So you, oh. he felt very strongly that the voice of that character really came to life when he and you were able to meet and create this guy. And so you're really, you're, you're every... Hey, bit hey. of your DNA. Not and I want to be sure. Yeah. I want to be sure also that the world knows. Do you know this? The Gerard Canonico was the original Evan understudy. No. Yes, Gerard. Yeah, Gerard. So Gerard did the when we did that workshop. There was an ensemble in the right. show. There were like five kids at school, oh. and the idea was all of the kids at school had a parallel uh, character that they could understudy. So there were like a few boys who would understand. There was like a, a, there was another Connor, another Jared, another Evan, another Lana, et cetera, et cetera, and two offstage parents. Um, who would appear at the funeral scene? There was a I funeral would like to scene. Know oh, wow. There's an Alana in Dear Evan Hansen. Yes, and there's an Alana in this recording studio. Yeah. yeah. So not for nothing, I would like to note that. Just I in think terms it's modeled of... after you. That's all. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I agree. Um, but then Gerard rejoined the production at second stage, where he was the the offstage cover, and he was he was the swing for all the guys. Um, but then didn't come with us to Broadway because he got Groundhog Day. Got so it. he was not a part of Be More Chill. Until then. He was. Yeah, so True River was before the second the stage. The timeline's crazy. Yeah, the timeline is him. Because when I saw mm-hmm. Dear Evan Hansen off-Broadway at second stage, I knew Gerard from Two River Theater's Be More Chill. That was post-Two River. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. And so at the party, I think it was at the Influencer Night party that I got to go to for Be More Chill, I remember just being like, Gerard. And he's like, why are you so into me? Like, mm-hmm. go talk to Will and Ben. And I was like, I know, but like, I love you from Be More Chill. I'm a giant, like, fan. Truly. That and was and he was and, so, and he was so um, yeah it was like it was this it was actually like very hard for me because it was why all that whole callback process was during the Dear Evan Hansen workshop, so Gerard's like I got my offer I'm do be more chill and I was like, great, Checking for your you phone every five minutes yeah, <laughs> yeah like I'm I'm still waiting for the phone. To There's ring. no service in this room. I I, yeah. I I need to go out to the street. That must be what's happening. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, what a lesson, right? I it mean, all obviously, worked out. It all worked out. Yeah. Big time. Exactly the way it was meant to be. I like to think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it ended up with um, Stephen Bracken and I did finally get our chance to work together um, in the uh, in the fall of 2017, which was sort of after all the Be More Chill uh, internet stuff had happened, and it was sort of like everyone's sort of sitting around going like, "Why isn't anyone doing Be More Chill? What's going on?" Including like, me. Look at all this crazy I was internet screaming stuff. Screaming to anyone who would listen. Yeah, why isn't anyone doing it? Um, and and we did a NAMT reading. Um, of a show that's going to Barrington this summer um, called Fall Springs. And uh, and it was just like, I mean, you know, I had this like at the bar after the reading, I was like, you know, Steven, like, if you ever, or, I was just crazy to be more chill stuff's happening. And like, if you ever like are doing this show again, I would love to audition. I just, I've, I just think the piece is so great. I love to be a part of it. Um, and apparently that was how I got it. That's how you do it. <laughs> because, that's uh, how you do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it was like, Four months later, it's on my birthday, March 5th, 2018, that I got a call from Joy Connors when he was at the airport uh, offering me Be More Chill. Oh, my God. Lauren was being, like, strip-searched in security, and he was like, hey, I, I just, like, he had to, like, go back to her, but he, but they were also, like, about to miss their flight because Lauren was getting held up in security, and he had to make this phone call before he got on the plane so oh, that he could like God. tell like tell the powers that be to send the official offer today. It was just like all very crazy. Are you still in Dear Evan Hansen when you get that call? I sure am. So how does that suddenly impact your experience as Jared? 
Um, I mean, I would say that at that point, my performance was pretty solidly locked in. It definitely changed my experience as Will Rowland. Okay. It definitely changed Talk my about experience. That. As, well, I was a, I knew, I was like, I knew that I would be, I was like, I, I'm not going to be in Dear Evan Hansen a lot longer. You know, this is March. I'm like, I, you know, my contract is up in, in May and like, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll extend a little bit, but I just, I just don't know. Um, and, uh, and this made it like. Clarity. Clarity mm-hmm. appeared. I was like... So when... Sam and I were talking about this because I was telling him how the thing that's so amazing about you and when I watch your work is that you are able to completely create a character that is singular in in how it is uh, appears on stage. But there's a lot of you in your work at the same time. So as opposed to sort of method actors who are unrecognizable every time they do a part, I feel like you were able to not lose the parts of yourself that are really right mm-hmm. for a part. How How is, and, and there's, a, there's more questions to be asked, but how was preparing for the role of Jeremy different from preparing for Jared? How are they the same? What are, how do you create a role when you are handed a role? I am, uh, I'm an actor who, uh, I'm like suspicious of acting. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't believe uh, very strongly in my ability to like transform. I think that the best I can do is sort of give my most sort of honest, earnest, uh, you know, version of what is on the page. Mm-hmm. And it's like my ability to, you know, like I'm looking at, uh, what's his face, Christian Bale as Dick Cheney right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is, I didn't, I didn't even know, I don't know what that is. Um, because I, I think I'm just from a very sort of utilitarian school of acting where like it, it just sort of like either it's going to work or it's not. And I think so the DNA of Will Rowland has to sort of match the DNA of, of Jeremy yeah. here or Jared Klein. Which is not to say that doing. I don't, you know, want to play someone who's like way outside of myself, but I think that person also has to live in a world that's sort of way outside of our world in order yeah. for me to do that. If I'm cause I, I'm tying back to what Joe Iconis likes about actors, is like I'm always interested, no matter how sort of insane the show is, um, you know, as long as it's based in the real world. I really am most invested in being a real person, um, right. and and that like I will I will not I mean I, I'm like that for me is like a pretty my version of real is larger than a lot of other people's uh-huh. version. But of there's real. a wide birth. Yeah, but that's me. Yeah. That's me in real life. Like yeah. there's I'm, a lot you know, of Jeremy's and a lot of Jareds walking around this world. Sure. Truly, and there's I like hundreds of thousands of them. Yeah, yeah. and I like almost uh, I was uh, doing uh, I was fixing the router which is on top of our counter in our kitchen the other day, and I like slipped a little bit and almost fell. That would have been terrible. But truly, the noise I made was like. <laughs> You know, like that's the that's the real life, honest to God. If you had been in my kitchen with a microphone that day, you would have heard, ah! you know, like as I almost fell off my marble counter. And so like when I'm on stage going like, you know, like that feels honest to me, right. um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, give it to a different version and you'd get a, a different, you know, ho- hopefully honest, you know, version of that whole thing. And so my my Jared and my Jeremy are as similar as Will Rowland and as different as those characters are. You know, I mean, there's an a, excellent way to put it, Will Rowland. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, Jared is a is a snarky. Uh, you know, he's he's constantly deflecting and constantly sort of uh, ignoring his emotions and, and, you know, just like just like lashing out as defense. And Jeremy is retreating as defense. And and those activities, you know, the way that you choose to approach your world to me are like that's what makes a character like the you know the the fact that jeremy sort of tries and fails and retreats versus jared who never tries in the first place he only sort of takes on the challenge that he know he will win that you know asserting his power over evan jeremy's like maybe i can talk to these people i cannot i cannot i must i must you know and then the beauty of it is like very rarely in a show do we get to watch a character have a full-blown arc transformation uh, in one second, um, which is what's great about the squip. It's like he takes this pill, and obviously it's instructing him, but the real thing that it's doing is giving him permission to follow the impulses that he would have self-censored before. 
that for me is like hopefully I hope people notice that on the on the deep reads of the show. But it's not so much that like he he takes a degree of instruction from the squip at certain moments in certain interactions. But like all of his interactions with Christine are not prompted by the squip. They're things that he wants to say, but would not have said if he thought he could get it wrong. Right. The squip didn't give him the direction. He gave him permission. Exactly. To To be himself. Mm -hmm. To be himself. And then the sort of breakdown at the end of the show comes when the squip is asking Jeremy to be someone other than himself. That's where it all sort of starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So take us inside the rehearsal room. You're at yeah. the signature backstage in that, that giant, awesome rehearsal room. Great rehearsal room. Um, Much better than we'll have for Broadway. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm imagining this room, you know, has, there, there's so much going on in there because the half the cast or more than half the cast is the same from this Mm -hmm. Two River production that has this already legendary cast recording that's out in the world. There's a few new cast members. You're getting this first big, huge off-Broadway production of Joe Iconis has never had an off-Broadway production. So he's getting that. Mm -hmm. You're in your first leading role since middle school, which when you tweeted this... It was probably in in previews of of the off Broadway run. My I remember my brain exploded, like you are you were such a leading man already in my head that like I could not believe that you were the leading man in every play Sam Mayer, yes, had <laughs> in his mind yes. about you. But now yeah. the rest Will of Roland the world is dear Evan Hansen in Sam Mayer's in head. Ben Platt. I mean, my reaction to your tweet was that's not true. Uh, <laughs> And texting me, I was like, no, it's not. So your first leading role, yeah. take us inside the rehearsal room. Um, it's it's totally cool. It's totally Your electric. four assistants are around you. Oh, yes, The cars exactly. dropped it's you. It's very glamorous. <laughs> it's very, um, uh-huh. yeah. So I walk uh, 17 miles in the heat from the A train to the signature. Nice. Um, Sexy. And uh, yeah, I show up nice and uh, full flop sweat. I'm Great. a sweater. I'll sweat at nothing. Great. Little known um, fact, yeah. he's a sweater, people. <laughs> Little known fact, okay. he sweats. <laughs> um, and, uh, and what's cool about it is that the cast is this 50-50 split. You know, there's 10 actors and 10 of them did it in New Jersey or sorry, five of them did it in New Jersey and five of them are new for New York. Um, And of the five that are new, three of them are me, Jason Tam, Jason Williams, who have known each other for 10 plus years. You're all in the family. Um, Yeah, we're all in the family. And then there's the sort of two river folks that I know really, really well, uh, being uh, George, Gerard, and uh, Lauren. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm sort of getting to know Stephanie and Katie and we're Mm -hmm. getting to know Tiffany and Britton. And so it's this very interesting sort of socially, like people who know the show, people who don't know the show, people who are in the family, people who are sort of on the edge of the family, you know, and all this sort of stuff is mixing together. And so the the energy in the room is sort of very creative because you've got a sort of baseline. Like people know that like some people are going to come to the show. You know, at this point, the first couple previews are sold out. So we're excited, uh, you know, and so people are taking uh, big, brilliant risks um, and also building on previous sort of information that they learned in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So the room is operating on this super high level because the, you've got each of these 10 actors is the kind of brilliant comedian that you hire one of for your show. And you have 10. Correct. And we have 10 of them. So it's it's actually chaos. It's, it's truly chaos <laughs> from start to finish. It's like herding cats. It's like day two. So it's really the star of Be More Chill is your stage manager. Uh, absolutely. Yes. B- Bertie... Bertie toes an amazing line in terms of letting people have fun but still running a room but like truly on day two like we're you know Steven's talking us through some scene and Stephen Brackett says George what did I just say and George is like I um you you said and then he says like and Gerard sitting up he goes he's like just say you don't know just say you want to listen just say because they were talking to each other like literally like like just high like school, school. <laughs> like, just like, like school amazing. and then George says the wrong thing and yeah. Stephen scolds and we move on and so it's this like like when does that happen in a professional rehearsal process it is both um, unthinkable like it's like you know like most you know most rooms there's enough fear that something like that would never happen but it is also like the essence of creation in this process there's and so warmth. much it sounds like the warmth yeah, prevails there's literally like Every, it's like popcorn, and every time a popcorn kernel pops, like something brilliant has emerged. And so that was the the process. Everyone's just like lobbing ideas out there. And then like a few weeks in, we start to make some pretty surgical changes to the show, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. They reorder the second act. They switch the pants song and uh, Pitiful Children, which is really great in terms of the sort of escalating 
arc of action. We now go like, oh, we're going to skip the whole school, bam, right into the sort of dum 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 and we're at the play, and the climax is upon us. Mm -hmm. um, and the addition of Loser Geek Whatever. Um, so at what point did cool. you find out you were getting Loser Geek Whatever? Um, I heard like I heard rumbles like... Uh, a new song is coming. Yeah, they were like, oh, Joe's writing a new song. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll believe it when I see it. I, mm -hmm. I've heard that before. Um, you know, and, and and so, you know, we're sort of like, ah, you know, we'll hear, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. And then it's like on the schedule, and it's like, will Joe, Emily, music rehearsal, everyone Miss else. Emily. Uh, Emily's our music director, Emily Marshall. Right. Um, you know, music rehearsal in the second room, and everyone else, you know, choreography on Rich Set Fire in the main room. Um, and then that afternoon. Because at that point, there's no other song that would involve just you and the vocals. Correct. It's the only, uh, it's the only, like, real proper solo that I have in the show. There are only, uh, two real proper bare stage solos in the show. It's Loser Geek Whatever and Michael in the Bathroom. Um, I love Because even though Jeremy is leading more than Survive, it's all ten exactly. cast members or all leading nine cast members. Leading voices in my head. And, you know, it's the right. same. Everybody's basically always on stage in this show. And even in, like, I Love Play Rehearsal, like, I'm sitting there interrupting her. It's the only true those are the only two like bare stage moments in the show um, spotlight on truly spotlight on backlights lit hit center take a downstage charge in the second verse you know like <laughs> it is the only one that is those two songs are, are structured that way and from the moment you heard it so do you go into this other room and joe plays it for you yeah um, yeah, I still have the like I have like a, my my voice memo recording from that day of like Joe singing it at the piano and like starting in the wrong key and having to go back. And, you know, it's just like it was totally uh, incredible because I, as I've said, I this writer to me, Joe, is like the, the greatest. He is the greatest. He's the world's greatest. He writes the greatest songs. He writes the greatest shows. Um, and so anytime that it's like. Holy shit, it's a new Joe Iconis song. The world for, just got a little larger. That's right, but also that he wrote for you. Yeah. And there's like there's a certain there's certain elements to which like it yeah, it is so written on my voice. Like there's that moment in the second verse where I go, My instinct sucks so much. That's like a suck so much is a phrase that I use all the time. It's like mm -hmm. a Will Roland phrase that mm -hmm. is in the musical forever. I'm like, oh that sucks so much. Like I just and I don't even I didn't even realize how much I said it until like I was like, Oh, it's in the I would say that all the time now. Wow, um, that's awesome. Did you go into the process, when you think back to the first day, mm -hmm. very sweaty. Yeah. Um, you take your ascot off and you <laughs> hand your, your stuff to your assistant. Yes. Um, <laughs> were you nervous? I was super nervous. What? I was super duper nervous because I, um, I have, I loved the production in New Jersey so much. Mm -hmm. And I have never uh, uh, played a role that I'd seen another actor play before. Um, you know, that was, I mean, except for like, it, no, actually, I'm not sure that I'd ever seen a play that I'd done before I did it. Wow. Um, cause I don't go to a lot of stuff. Um, but so I was very, um, yeah, I was just very nervous. I sort of felt like on the first day, like I, I had something to prove, you know, right. like I had to make it clear to all these people in this room, uh, who had worked with the, the incredibly talented Will Connolly on this show. Mm -hmm. I had to sort of prove to them that I deserved to be there. Now this was not true, but in my of head course. it was very true. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was That's a lot of pressure. I mean, there's hundreds of millions of streams at exactly. that point, and, and, it's, and it's the momentum and, of the show was. Yeah, built and from I that. loved the show, and I loved Will in it, and so right. it was this very, uh, you know, it was just this very complicated set of feelings I had about like what I had to do and what I had to bring. Um, luckily, I, I didn't get so hung up on that that like. Do you do a table read on the first after the meet and we greet did. and yeah, welcome yeah. everyone? Do you just sit around the table, scripts in hand, and go through it? That was the very first thing we did. And is or Joe actually, singing no, actually, the songs? Actually, no. Actually, we didn't do our read through until the next day. So what we happens did the first music day? Music rehearsal first. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing we did, well, we had our meet and greet, and then we dismissed for a long lunch, and they started calling people back from lunch to work on so to start working on solos with the new people. And I will say, I was there on that first day. They they allowed co-producers in the room to be there when the cast was revealed the set design. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. We do all our design, design. design stuff. And I've never been to one of those first rehearsals, yeah. so I can't We're, compare so it to other Sam's stuff. What Sam's talking about is each designer gets a moment. It's show and tell. Show the and first tell. Day show and tell. Is it's the best. Usually the director, the producer welcomes everyone, then the director might say something, and then bit by bit, every head of every department shows either with a model or sketches, this is the world you're about to enter. Yeah. So so when Sam talks about that, that's what he yeah, means. Yeah, Beowulf showed us, uh, you know, scenic renderings of every you know scene by scene was all pinned up on the wall and at that point besides a different leading man a, a completely different set design was kind of the other biggest change yeah okay. from the two river production so and that is it was a the different thing. designer was... or just a different set it's a different designer yeah. okay so yeah. you get over your nervousness yes uh is that 
because, like, sometimes for me, what helps is if I get a laugh right away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... I'm like, oh, okay. They, I got. I'm, I'm in the right world here. Truly. Did you feel like during that first table read, the next day, you, you nailed it. I did. You crushed it. I did. It. I felt like, yeah. Well, and I, and I had reached out to, uh, the Joes beforehand and said, please send me the materials. Mm-hmm. Let me familiarize myself with it. Let me sort of stop listening to the album and start sitting with the score and my piano at home and like you know Make doing yeah and just sort of like returning to the the relationship that is the actor to the text which I hadn't had with the show in many many years I had had a relationship to like being an audience member and seeing it or listening to it but I needed to go back to that sort of you know core relationship with it did you audition again I did not. You just got the offer. I just got the straight offer yeah. on my birthday. Yeah. And I had heard like little rumblings that it was happening in the weeks leading up to it and like sort of had in my mind like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll get to do it. You, know, you are uh, best friends with Jennifer Ashley Tepper. Truly. So how did you balance being intimately in love platonically mm-hmm. with everyone involved with this show, knowing there were so many rumblings of it happen, happening? Not knowing what your place was with all that. Being in a, by the way, the biggest Broadway hit ever. It's not like you were, you know, waiting right, tables like at the Magic Pan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, the so Magic you're, Pan. Yeah. <laughs> I just interviewed Mary Steenburgen where she <laughs> where she began her days and oh, then yes. Jack Nicholson cast her. I know FYI. that story very well. Incredible story. Um, that will not be in this episode where we put it on, <laughs> on the air, as it were. But like emotionally like we're human beings with hearts mm-hmm. do we not bleed so how do you you're so generous will roland because Thank you. you're so generous because part of it was painful mm-hmm. so how do you navigate the possibility of this for your friends and and the uncertainty of what your place will be in it i think part of the journey of being in joy Connison family mm-hmm. uh is learning to deal with those situations um, because we are a big family of performers, and every time that Joe does something, be it a reading, be it a workshop, be it a full production, some of us get to do it, and some of us do not. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the great good fortune at this point of having done two full-blown Joe Iconis productions, right. which is Huge. insane. Yeah. I, and I recognize how atypical that is for the members of our family and for the actors of the earth. Um, and so I'm like, there's no part of me that is sort of like, well, I, I, I deserve to be there. I belong there. I, you know, it's like you, you, there is that sort of impulse, but you have to sort of get over it a little bit. And, you know, I mean, I, the very, very wise uh, Michael Greif, uh, we were sitting around after a Dear Van Hansen reading one day. It was me and Michael and Michael Park. Um, and Mr. Park said, uh, he said, you know, Michael, you've really, uh, you, you've, you've assembled such a great family here. And Michael Greif said, I'm very, he said, I don't want to call it a family. He said, it's, it's, that's a tricky word for me because family means unconditional love. And in this industry, the love is so often conditional. Mm-hmm. The ways in which you can show love is so often conditional. And so the fact that Joe remains at the center of this group of people and we we fight and we're unhappy and you know like there i was i was unhappy to not be and be more chill and you know there are people in the family who obviously wish there would be more chill this time and are not you know this is all part of sort of sitting around at christmas dinner or sitting around at thanksgiving or halloween or the various holidays that we celebrate um and like healing together and being together like a real goddamn family you know many of us um are new to this concept or the phrase Joe Iconis and family. Mm-hmm. So if you were to take a traditional family unit mm-hmm. or a non-traditional family unit, This perhaps, is a very non-traditional family unit. Um, we just have one patriarch and everyone so orbits him. is Joe, who is Joe in the family? Um, I think of this family like, uh, like a, a solar system, uh, like a series of bodies orbiting one another. Uh, Joe is the star at the center of it all. Um, and, you know, there are various sort of bodies that orbit in very close proximity and very regular proximity. There's, you know, Jason Williams and uh, Katrina Dedrickson and Lance Rubin and these people who are always very near. Um, and then there's people who have sort of entered and left. And there's people who, you know, somewhat infrequently sort of visit us and then go away. I think, you know, think of like the Krista Rodriguez and the Nick Blameyers who are like, they're constantly working, they're constantly doing stuff. And whenever there's an opportunity for them to do a family thing, uh, you know, they're always asked. 
and they almost always say yes. You know, it's this sort of thing where, you know, some people are there all the time and some people are sort of, you know, rotating on the outsides, but it is this sort of thing where we all are drawn together by Joe. Um, and it's, it's important to note that the, the Joe Iconison family concerts grew out of uh, this sort of Joe reacting to the fact that it's very hard for a young musical theater writer to get your work produced especially in 2006 when he was graduating and you know we were sort of hitting things were about to slow down big time in our industry and you know people were going to stop taking risks on young writers and so doing shows with this group of people um was not nearly as common at the time as it is now like these days every young musical theater writer is like i'm gonna book an evening of 54 below and do the songs of john angus green you know and (laughs) as if they were candor and ebb Mm -hmm. and 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 so it's become rote but in in many ways uh you know this sort of notion of a unit doing shows together like a troupe uh, you know, we started doing them at the Lori Beachman Theater, which was exclusively a cabaret and comedy venue at the time, right. basically, and since has become very much a home base for this family. And so it's like it's interesting that the when the work opportunities come around, they sort of exist in parallel because the family came about as a reaction to a lack of work opportunities for the people involved. The whole thing well, is so I revolutionary. Mean, yes. The whole thing, the, the people involved, the way you're doing it, like it's just this revolutionary. People and also forget that Joy Connors had the first viral musical theater hit in 2006 when Courtney Wolfson recorded Blue Hair and put it on YouTube and Justin Paul is accompanying her at the piano. It's like it's, wow. and it had like two hundred thousand views in two thousand and seven. That was insane. That didn't happen in musical right. theater back then. You know, and Blue Hair was like a, a phenomenon all those years ago. And Joe was sitting there going, "Well, why the hell won't someone do the black suits then?" You know, and that I was the that. fear last summer when all this Be More Chill stuff was happening. It was like, "Well, is someone going to do this damn show, or right. is this going to be just like you know?" When everyone in the world was emailing Joe asking for blue hair, but like no, but no right. theater would touch it. It's very strange. So perfect segue. First preview yeah. off Broadway, the Signature Theater this summer, summer 2018. Tell us about that first preview. Um, the first preview was incredible. Um, that whole first uh, like ten days was insane because of of performance. Of performances. Yes. Yeah. Because wait, that did was... you have an invited dress? Uh, no, we canceled it. Okay, We why? canceled the invited dress. Why? So, so because guys... we needed the time. Okay. We needed the tech time. Okay. It was, yeah, it was, it was, we were, we were insane. We were like losing our minds. We were in tech all day. We were like, you know, we were making these big changes to the show and everyone was like, well, are we doing the right thing? And are the characters getting lost? And boy, you know, we're all freaking out. Um, and then we're also going, all right, so we know there's going to be this group of super fans here. And they're going to love it no matter what we do. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to hate it no matter what we do. Like, they're going to yep. hate certain things yeah. Yeah. because they're not no what they wanted. Change. When you love something so much, uh, you start to, like, your views on it start to ossify. Mm-hmm. They change from ideas to beliefs. And they change from beliefs to faith. You know, and so all these people who worshipped at the altar of Be More Chill, we sort of knew that there were certain sort of things that as soon as it was different, they'd go like, Ugh! or yeah. th- then they would either love it or they would hate it, but it would react, they would react to it in a different way than people who were seeing Be More Chill for the first time, whether they had listened to it or not. You know, there, there were these sort of three different levels that the show was operating on, and we were all nervous that, like, will anyone outside of our devoted fan base uh, like or care about this show? You know, that was the big, big fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, and for the first two weeks, I would say that it was, the audiences were, like, 50 to 75% uh, those fans, mm-hmm. which was an incredible... It was electric. Uh, Electricity yeah. in the room, like, tangible. I was in the second preview, and just, uh, that will go down in history for me as my favorite theatrical experience of all time. Like, tied literally with, like, Adina Menzel's last show in Rent in 1997. Yeah. It was both. It was both amazing and challenging because we're in previews and we're trying to figure out, well, does this moment work? Does that moment work? And the audience, because of their familiarity with the piece, is reacting in ways that a, a quote-unquote normal audience, you know, an audience of people who don't know the work, would not react. Right. Certain lines are getting like screaming Huge cheers, reactions. and we're sort of like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> That's well, not a joke. It's already culty. Correct. And yeah. yeah, it's already got this sort of culty thing going on. And so we're like, we're sitting there with our previews period going like, ah, we can't actively assess whether these things are working because 
the audience is not your sort of typical, you know, if the show were to run for 10 years on Broadway, That's these right. people would sort of, we'd run out of them in the first couple months. And then we then we would be left with sort of like, did no we- No preconceived idea audience members. Did we tweak the show correctly? Right. Did we mm. make the right changes during previews and reaction to an audience that we should have? So we we're freaked out about that. Um, and, and yeah, there was just a lot of, I mean, at this point it all feels like, well, of course the whole thing was sold out and of course it was going to go to Broadway. It's like, no, none of mm -hmm. that was certain. Are you, are yeah. you Catherine Hepburn? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> Haven't you met Jerry Garrington? It's exactly what he sounds like. I'm kidding. <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Um, yeah, it was, it, it, so there were, nothing was certain that now mm. feels sort of like a foregone conclusion. Maybe from the outside people were like, well, of course that show's going. You know, multiple right. newspapers said that. Like there were, there were reviews that said like, doesn't matter what I write, this show's going to Broadway. And I was like, God, I wish that were true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. So a special moment for me that I want to talk about too is during the second preview, which, you know, it, it should be known that I couldn't even get into the first preview. There's a funny picture from my personal Instagram of me and several other producers of the show literally li trying to listen in at the door with their ears to the door. We couldn't get in. I mean, it was that sold out. It was that much of like the neck, the epicenter of musical theater that day was right there. I couldn't even get in. So I go to the second preview. Second preview you know, there was a lot of rumbling about the new song. We we kept it a secret uh, that there was the new song, Loser Geek, whatever. But it was starting by the first preview, especially people were, the message boards were blowing up, people knew. And during the second preview, the moment Will says, Loser Geek, whatever, which he, you say the words right before the song starts. Yeah, it's a, it used the in, in the New Jersey version of the show, it went, I already know what it's like to be the loser. I should find out what it's like to not be the loser. I don't want to be special. Oh, no, right. no. It like went back into that. Uh -huh. And so when I went, or the geek, or the whatever, that's the first moment that and everyone's this like, <gasps> super fan next to me gasped in a way that is a part of my soul at this point. The way I hear that in my brain, like I started weeping. So I want to just, what does that mean to you? As we finish, I know we mm -hmm. have five minutes left with you. <laughs> so I want to, I want to, yeah. because I can talk to t Sam about that moment for a long time outside of this moment mm -hmm. with you. So you're hearing, like, he's a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's not a 15-year-old girl no. going to, like, Pleasant View High. No. Sam's so, a grown-ass man. <laughs> he's a very handsome grown-ass man. Indeed. What does this mean for you? What does Be More Chill mean to you? For me, the thing that I love about the piece and the thing that makes me honored to be a part of it is that um, I forever, I, all I want to do and all I've ever wanted to do is tell true stories that live in a world that is more fantastical than our own. Um, as much as I love a play that takes place in a living room mm -hmm. or on a split level set with two living rooms um, that are totally realistic and totally like a study in how we are. We love you, Harold Pinter. We this love you, Harold Pinter. in any way. I loved the humans. Sure. I love, you know, all these plays. Um, but I want to do work that lives in a bigger, more fantastical world than the one that we live in, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. I love future dystopian sci-fi. I love fantasy. I love magical realism. I love all, you know, I love like the worlds of like Wes Anderson and I love the worlds of uh, um, uh, Pan's Lab, Guillermo del Toro, you know, like all these sort of worlds. The Shape of Water was truly my favorite movie yeah. ever. And so the fact that I get to be in this musical which I love so dearly. Which written, is magical realism. Which is magical yeah. realism. Mm -hmm. Written by this guy who I love so dearly and whose work means so much to me. Um, and I get to sort of carry so much of this show um, into this, you know, and, and present a sci-fi musical, which is a rarity in our world. And in this whole thing, I get to be totally real and honest and human and give that story to a bunch of people, young and old, who are seeing themselves in this fantastical world. Um, I think that uh, it's it's very cliche to be like, oh, we live in a we live in tough times, you know, with all this Trump stuff. Um, but it's true, and it also. But I feel this way all the time. Like these fantastical worlds transport us, and this show transports us. I hope, you know, when when it succeeds, it's this thing where we imagine a better and more magical world than our own, um, and that's. That's what I wanted. But do. I love how you're saying that's kind of rooted in reality. Like it's not just a completely fantastical no, it's world. Not a cartoon. It's like you start here, and yeah. this it is real. There's a bed. You appear on it. You're watching porn. Yeah. This is real life. Exactly. And then it just explodes, and the and it lets us sort of think like you know when we walk out, 
that like, well, like maybe the world is a little more magical mm-hmm. than I think it is. And there's it, squips in all of us. Yeah. I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, so I'm you... very honored to get to do it now and I hope to get to do it forever in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to finish, mm-hmm. because it's such a close-knit family, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to keep a secret from a family member who you mm-hmm. love and adore, um, did you know when the announcement was made and there's video footage of, of your cast being assembled, learning that you're going to Broadway, there's all the hopes, there's all the rumblings, and you know, as having been around for a long time, doesn't mean it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean the money will be raised. Right. So the moment that there's an announcement, did you know before that it was going to move or when did you find out for real? Here's what tipped me off. Okay. I got a text from my best friend in the world, Danielle Gimbel, who is the music assistant on the show. We went to NYU together. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, what's this company meeting tomorrow? And it was like, we'd been open for weeks. Danielle was no longer on the payroll at the show. And I was like, it's got to be Broadway. Yeah. It's got to be Broadway. Why is Danielle but invited? The thing is, yeah, but the thing is, you don't know. Like, you yeah. say in your mind, like, it's got to be Broadway. And we're sitting around and, you know, like, as more and more people start to pour into the room, it becomes clear what it is. But it's not real until Jerry says it. Mm-hmm. And, and what does he, he says say? It. He says, we're going to Broadway. We're going to the Lyceum in the spring. And it was like... I mean, as I've said, the, my friend Joe Iconis is like the greatest writer I've ever known. And those are like the Joe Iconis show to open on Broadway is all that I've ever wanted to hear for the last decade. And so all of the things that come with it, my involvement, what the show is, what has happened with the show, it just is, it's overwhelming. It's beyond overwhelming. It's, it's the most, it's the, it's the best thing that's ever happened. And that moment is captured on video for us all to see. Oh God, it's yes. really fun. I watched it a couple times watching just you. Oh, I'm a mess. And it, but it's like this very specific moment. He loses it. Like it's like mm-hmm. the the carpet is pulled out from under you. Well, and... something fake becomes real. Mm-hmm. Something a dream actually becomes a real thing. So. Well, I can't wait to check back in with you yeah. down the road, it's and we'll see like when you're in the middle of it, how yeah. it grows, how it changes. And I just want to say thank you for spending this time with us today and for thanks being for having so me. remarkable. Broadway's leading man, Will Rowland. Ooh, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Alana. So Sam and I had this idea. Because Be More Chill is such a fan-driven show, and the fans are so much of why the show has made it to Broadway, we wanted to find a way to share what the show means to you with all our listeners. So we went out and asked some fans to share their feelings about Be More Chill with us. And here's one now. Will Rowland is a magnetic performer and the kind of person everyone wants to be around. His portrayal of Jeremy shines light on the truth of teenage anxiety while simultaneously embracing a sense of humor for the ridiculousness of the character's situation. He can play this larger-than-life teen character on a Broadway stage and at the same time makes it so relatable and personable, speaking fluently to the hearts of real high school kids like me and grown adults alike. Meeting Will was an even better experience than I ever could have hoped for. He has a kind heart and actually cares and takes interest in what us fans have to give to the story of Be More Chill. Not to mention, he is absolutely hilarious. Two minutes talking to Will Rowland proved that the comedy of his character does not only come from the writing. Will brings something special to this show. Maybe Jeremy doesn't want to be a hero, but in my eyes, Will Rowland sure is one. And here's another one. Hi, Sam and Alana. My name is Nico. I'm a vocal major at Frank Sinatra School of the Arts, and Be More Chill means a lot to me because it is showing the impact of social standards, acceptance, and how not fitting in can affect someone's self-value. Will Rowland makes you feel exactly what Jeremy is feeling when he comes across these types of conflicts and portrays this character perfectly, captivating the audience with his great acting and amazing singing. There are so many people who are going to see this show, listen to this cast album, and feel represented and encouraged to be themselves, which gives it so much more importance. Being a high school student, I know firsthand how brutal it can be if you are not accepted or don't have many friends. You can feel like you can't breathe, 
your palms start to sweat. The walls are closing in on you because you're not going to get that girl and you're not going to get invited to that party. You're alone with no escape. Be more chill is that escape. Be more chill is our way out when we need it. And that is what be more chill means to me. Thank you for listening. Hey, you can find us on Instagram at how to be more chill. And one quick thing before we go, could you go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen on and just take a moment to rate and review us? We would really appreciate it. And do not forget, this is Alana. This is Sam. Tell us how to be more chill. Never hung with a girl like you before. I don't know if you know it, but I am sure that for me you are an upgrade. Hey there, I'm Kimberly Schmidt. Are you in love with the podcast you're listening to? Kevin Jager here. Did you know it's part of the Practically Perfect Broadway Podcast Network? And I'm Brian Plofsky. The Broadway Podcast Network features over 30 podcasts to feed the theater passion in all of us. Feed me, Seymour! Wait, over 30? I feel like I'm running out of time. It doesn't have to be agony because we have a very good place to start. Try out the Broad Wasted podcast with the three of us. And yes, it is what it sounds like. Join us every Tuesday for a hilarious happy hour with the best and brightest on Broadway. We drink, play games, share laughs, and did I mention drink with your favorite Broadway stars? From Jeremy Jordan, Patty Murin, Jessica Vosk, and Carolee Carmelo. To James Monroe Eigelhart, Sierra Bogus, George Salazar, and Alice Ripley. We have too much fun with too many friends of the show to mention. And on BPN, there's a whole new world of theater podcasts podcasting at your fingertips. Alongside the Broad Wasted podcast, you can discover other great established shows and exclusive podcasts that were made just for the BPN network. So defy gravity and fly on over to broadwaypodcastnetwork.com. Or go direct to our page at bpn.fm backslash broadwasted. And follow, follow, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Broadwasted, and the network is Broadway Podcast Network. We just can't wait to be a part of your weekly theater podcast lineup. Thank, Thank you, and cheers! Zoot-doo-wop-bum! Thank you for listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Make sure to visit us online at broadwaypodcastnetwork.com, on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network, or on Twitter at BWAPod Network.